Well, here we are. Yeah. First Sunday in September. We're kicking off. And we're talking about all month. We're going to talk about God's game plan. What that is for you as an individual. What that is for us as a church. I'm excited about today. Got a little something going to happen here in a little bit. But I want to start off asking the question. Yeah, we're going to do the wave. And what, what team are you on? What team are you on? What jersey did you wear? Every, every team Taco Cat. There you go. I, I had somebody, somebody said, I'm Team America. And I was like, all right. Some of you wore your football jerseys. Some of you wore your football jerseys. That's soccer, for those of you who don't know the difference. Some of you wore baseball because you don't know what real sports are, but we love you anyways. Uh, a few of you said you were going to wear a hockey jersey, but then you didn't, so that's okay. But no matter what the sport, every team has a chant or a cheer. Like the U.S. Olympics curling team has a little chant that they do. I don't know it because I don't know what curling really is even about, but they do. They, I watched a special on it, and they were like, we got this little cheer we do before we go out. I'm like, why? Nobody's listening. <laughs> Nobody's watching, but I'm just kidding. Curling's fun. Uh, but every fan knows your team's cheer or your team's chant. If I were to say war mm, or roll. Did you know <laughs> my favorite is obviously go Canes. All right. Because let me just tell you, we're undefeated this season. <laughs> Boom. Yeah, that's right. Uh, until tonight, we may, we may be one and oh or oh and one. It could go either way. Did you know, because I'm a Miami Hurricanes fan, we really don't like Ohio, and so I have to pick on them. If you're an Ohio State fan, I'm sorry. Did you, Ohio's chant, they spell out their name. O-H-I-O, Ohio. You would think by the time you get into college, you know how to spell Ohio. Okay? But we don't like them. Florida schools. I saw some of you. Florida schools are notorious for their rivalries. Go ahead. Stand up. Be proud. Stand up and do it. Stand up. Yeah. Come on, stand up. I'll do it with you. I don't care. There it is. Oh, it's horrible. The gator chomp. Then there's this monstrosity. Yeah. That one was for my father-in-law. I, I'll do just about whatever it takes to, to be the favorite son-in-law. And so I let him do his FSU stuff at church and even let him take my boy down that horrible path of un unrighteousness and to, we'll pray for him speaking of weird sports things <laughs> chant weird sports things <laughs> when <laughs> you give me the eye <laughs> when when was the last time that you went to a baseball game comedian uh michael jr he's, he's coming into town and he has this bit he talked he said he said i was at a new york yankees game and in the seventh inning, the whole stadium starts singing, take me out to the ball game, take me out to the show, buy me some, come on, you know it, peanuts and cracker jack, promise me that we will never, he says, hey, we're at the ball game, why are we singing take me out to the ball game? He's like, it doesn't make sense. And then you got those other fans in baseball who around the seventh inning, they start singing, sweet Caroline, that that's the only thing people know about the song. There's one guy that knows the whole song, and everybody else chimes in and goes, ba, 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 sweet care. 
What does that even have to do with baseball? Nothing. We, we just do weird stuff for sports. And so today, I thought this would be a great opportunity to talk about and make some comparisons between God's team and whatever your favorite team and whatever your favorite sport is. And so that's what we're going to do. In a sporting team, and this is true pretty much for any sport, whether it's football, baseball, underwater basket weaving, whatever it is, um, in sports, you've got different types of people. You've got people who are on the field working as, as a good team member and having fun. You've got the people that are just that, in, that are so into being on the team and enjoying the game, whether it's the quarterback, the, the offensive line, the guys in basketball, whatever those positions are, because nobody watches basketball except for during like the final four, um, you know, baseball. There are guys who are on the field because they live and breathe and eat and sleep baseball. They've been throwing a ball since they were three. Some soccer, same thing. There are some people that I, I like to watch highlights from soccer. I don't have the, the tenacity to watch a whole game because I get wore out just because they run for 45 minutes and stop for 10 and then run for another 45 minutes. And I don't see, one, how that can be fun because out of two hours of that running, there's like four amazing plays. But when these guys do some of the things they do, when that dude stands on the corner behind the net and kicks a ball and it goes out and swings in and scores a goal, it's like magic. I don't know. I don't understand it. I don't get the physics. The, the, I watched one guy. They kicked the ball into him. He did a flip, kicked the ball. I was going to demonstrate that, but <laughs> I thought I better not. <laughs> the things that some of these guys can do with the footwork, they call it juggling, which when I went to clown school, we learned to juggle with our hands. But these guys, they do some amazing stuff. They, they love it so much. They'll do whatever it takes to be on the field, in the moment, in the game, Every time the sun comes up on God's team, there are people like that. There's some full on members. And, and that may be some of us here today as members of God's team. We're, we're playing our part. We're doing as the coach taught us. Um, and, and we're just we're all in, not not just on Sunday, but at work and, and at the at the restaurant or wherever it is you go throughout the week. You're just so all in on God's team that you want people to know that. As a matter of fact, I taught in my Sunday school class this morning about shining a light and I gave them homework. So parents, if your kids are in my class, they have homework this week. And if they bring it back, I got a little gift for them. So you guys need to work with them on that. But that's what we should be doing. When we leave here, we need to be shining our light so bright that people know we're on God's team. Whether it's over tipping, whether it's being over patient in the long line. And when you're in the grocery line and you've got your full cart and that one person comes up behind you with like three things and they're just standing there, let them get in front of you. It's just that easy to be a simple little reflection that shows them that you're on God's team because we care about others first. Then there's some people out there who are just, they're in the audience. They sit in the bleachers. They sit in the grandstands. They just watch the game. They're watching the game, but they don't really play on the team. And that happens with God's team as well. Maybe some people need to know a little bit more before they want to join God's team. Perhaps there's some people like that here today. You've been coming for a while. You've heard lots of things about God and his son, Jesus, but you still need to know a little bit more before you decide to become a part of God's team. And that's okay. I'd encourage you to speak with an elder or a staff person or another Christian about the questions you have. On a sporting team, 
some people are on the bench. And we always think of that as a bad thing. But when you watch college sports especially, a lot of the people on the bench aren't there because they're not any good. They're there because they're what they call red shirt. They're, they're, they're holding them back to turn them loose in the next season so they have twice as much playing time. And so sometimes when you're on the bench, <clears throat> uh, you're on the side of the field and it doesn't necessarily mean you're not part of the team or, or that you're not playing or that you're not going to be an active member. It just means that for right now, that's where you need to be. And for Christians, sometimes we need to be on the bench. We, we maybe have gone through a season of hurt or a season of turmoil or, or something. And we need to be in a place where we're being filled and we're being encouraged and, and we're being prepared to come back out and be on the field. Unfortunately, Alabama is a good football team. It's true. One of the reasons they're good is because on Nick Saban's bench, he has people two and three deep that can play just as good as some school's first round picks. They're starters because that's how he's developed his program. That's how we need to be here at the church. Some of God's teams are like that, too. They're people. They could be part of the team, but, but they're not quite there. They're, they're maybe on the bench getting ready to break out. Um, and, and real quick, speaking of team, and this isn't in my notes, so stay with me, Matt. Um, but, but talking about team, I just want to brag about our team at Huntsville Christian Church. I say it all the time in other places, but our elders and our staff, the people that I've worked with for the last 10 years in leadership, are some of the best men that I've ever served with in a church. And I've only served at four churches. Okay, and I've been here the longest, but seriously, clap for our for those men. Um, our our leadership is awesome. When when I came in a few weeks ago and I was sick, I'd gone to the doctor before church, and I came in and I sat down. I really wanted to preach that sermon because I had folks that were coming because I'd been talking about it, and they came to hear me preach. And when Mike came over to me and he just said, "Hey, I've got this. You sit here," I was like, "Are you sure?" He goes, "Yeah. You don't need to be up there." That doesn't happen in a lot of places. A lot of churches are like, well, we're glad you made it to preach, but you missed Sunday school. You know? And our guys were like, no, you take the time you need and you get rested and you get well and you come back and you bounce back strong. That's team. That's having people on your bench who at a moment's notice were ready to step up and do what needed to be done. And our guys are good at that. And, and so there's some people. Who, so the bench is not always a bad thing. That's really what I was getting at with that whole thing. But there are some people who used to play on a sports team. But then they don't anymore. And they didn't retire. They just walked away. And that really breaks my heart. Because the same thing happens to God's team sometimes. We get folks who just stop listening to God as their coach. And they just walk away. And the, the, the saddest thing in my time in serving ministry is when people choose to walk away from God's team. And that just breaks my heart because... That means, and it's not, it's not, hey, we're moving to another city, so we're going to find another church. It's just, I'm just walking away. And we can't get them back on the team. And so when you, when you look at the whole picture of sports and of team and of church, you see there's a lot of parallels. And you may have an idea of where you are on God's team. Because I believe that church is a team sport, like football is a team sport. That means each player, each one of us in this room, being on God's team, need to give our best effort in a way that's unselfish, in a way that is obedient to the rules of the game. And if you're not sure where the rules of the game are, I brought my playbook. (laughs) 
Some of you trendy folks, you've got that on your phone. But it says the same thing. It's just a tactical difference on how you're going to look at it. We have the playbook. We have the, the, the rules of the game. We have the advice of our coach, God, right here. Of, for everything we're going to deal with in the game of life, we have all the information we need. I got to tell you, football is a sport that I enjoy. And I love, I love watching football when the people playing the game, it's evident that they enjoy it. You know, you, you can tell when a team takes the field and they're not really into it. But when a team takes the field and, and they're from, from moment one, from the warm up, they're all in sync and they're all one. You're like, oh, this is going to be a good game. I can tell if Miami's going to win or lose in the first two and a half minutes of a football game by the way that they come out, by the way they take the field, by the way the kickoff happens. Before the, the ball has even gone 20 yards, I can tell you if we're going to win or lose. And I'm usually not wrong. But here's the thing. When we come out, we need to play together. Right here on God's team. We need to be prepared to play together. Not only do, do you get a good um, strength when you play together, but there's, there's a warmth and a support and a dignity when you see a team where everybody on the team is working toward the same goal. People talk about church growth. I'm reading a lot of books about church growth. One of the things I think that promotes church growth is when people walk in and they see that we, are all, we all have unity and we all have that warmth and that, that support and that we're all there and we're on the same team. We're of the same mind. We are all coming in and out of this building with a purpose of going to win and committing ourselves to grow in God's word. And I think that's what makes church growth happen. As a group, as a team, we take pride in contributing towards the goal if you're wondering what our goal is, being on God's team, it's real simple. It's getting to heaven and taking as many people with you as you can. That's my summation of this book. The neat thing is, or the sad thing is, anyone who lollygags, anyone who isn't giving 100%, it's noticeable. And, and as, as you come in, whether it's a team, whether it's a church, whether it's your job, when somebody comes in, and one person says, hey, we're glad to see you. And the next person bumps you in the shoulder and says, hey, watch out where you're going. What, what do we just say to that guest? <laughs> what do we just say to that person maybe who's been coming for a while? Yeah, we're not on the same team. When you walk into Chick-fil-A, the first person that sees you, what do they say? Thank you. When, when you get to the cash register, what does the person say? Yeah. You pay them. They give you your stuff. You say, thank you. What do they say? Everybody says it. It doesn't matter. The person like hands you a napkin. Thank you. My pleasure. It's awesome. You know why? Team. Chick-fil-A is changing the way fast food is viewed in America. People won't go to other... They will wait for two hours at Chick-fil-A because when the door opens... Kind of like when you go to Moe's. Welcome to Moe's. You leave a tip in the little gas can at Moe's. What do they all do? Somebody rings a bell. They all scream and holler and say, thank you. It scared me the first time it happened. <laughs> but that's, that's because it's all team. From the start to the end, everything is, is, is in order. Everybody is playing towards the same goal. There's camaraderie on the team. And, and that's a gift that can't be bought. 
When we're, as Christians, when we're all playing on God's team the way we should, the connection, the, the fellowship, the brotherly love that we have, it's something that can't be bought, it can't be taught, it just happens. I think that in every institution in our society, there's, there's a need that we need to surrender some of our individuality in order to become a part of that institution, in order to become a part of that team. Whether it's a team, whether it's church, whether it's your family, whether it's your job. You, see, the problem is, we live in a world where each man is, is in this process where we think we can do what's right in our own eyes. And when that happens, it equals chaos. Could you imagine a football team or a basketball team or a hockey team or a soccer team or even a curling team where everybody does what is right in their own eyes? The coach says, all right, guys, third down, seven yards to go, snake belly option on three, whatever that is. And they go out, and the quarterback, hut, hut, hut. But the center decides to snap it on one. All right, now the quarterback's all messed up. And these other guys are just running around in circles behind them because they just didn't feel like running and getting hit. And, And the whole play just dissolves. Same thing happens in church. When we come in here with a concept of this idea that we're just going to do what we think is best of, as an individual rather than what God says we need to be doing in his word, then chaos ensues. We need, to understand that, we need to understand that because the individual matters, but as an individual, I don't matter as much as the church matters, as the bride of Christ. My personal desires don't matter. What matters is that I'm following God's word. I say this all the time. If, if it was up to me, worship would be like 80s hair metal. All right. Striper would be leading worship. Google them. All right. Max Headroom would be doing uh, offering and devotion thoughts on the TV. If you don't know Max Headroom, Google it. He was great. Another 80s icon. He raised me. That explains a lot. Yeah. We... We wouldn't have chairs like this. It would just be different. But the reality is, it's not about what I want. It's about what God's word says we should be doing. And we should be glorifying him. We should be coming together. We should be loving one another. You see, when, when we know, uh, one, of the, one of the things that we forget is that when, when someone on our team stumbles or falls, when, in football especially, what happens? When somebody gets hurt on a field in football, what does everybody do? Even the opposing team, they take, I'd take a knee, but it'd take too long for me to get back up. But somebody gets hurt on a football field, the opposing team takes a knee and they wait for a minute, especially high school, college, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and they, when someone falls awkwardly, when someone gets injured, they come alongside. In the church, when someone stumbles or someone falls awkwardly or someone gets injured, what do we do? We kick them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we kick them out of the way so we don't stumble over them. What are we supposed to do? It's cause enough for us to stop the game for a minute. When somebody stumbles, when somebody falls, when when something happens and one of our our Christian brothers or sisters is injured, it's time to stop the game. It's time for us to, to focus our attention on that person, to come alongside them with restoration being the goal and getting them back off the bench, off the injured reserve and back into play in the game. You see, athletes know that there are rules that you surrender yourself with. It's not win at all cost. 
And for the athletes that win at all costs is on their mind, when they don't draw that line somewhere, they usually end up embarrassing themselves and the team. And the same thing happens in the church. It's not win at all cost. It's, it's get to heaven and take as many people with you as you can. So if that means you have to stop and pick somebody up and dust them off and realign them and help restore them, that's what we need to be. Christianity means becoming part of God's team. And he's got some rules for being on his team. And in case you were wondering if I had any scripture today, I do. Here it comes. He's got rules to being on his team. One of God's biggest expectations is that you have to get rid of your old self. Some of you are like, well, I like my old self. Listen to this. This is from Romans chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. For not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That means you are not your own. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Whoa. Die to self. Some people have been on God's team for many years and have yet to die to themselves. You see, on God's team, we are called to die to ourselves. We are called to live for him. When we were baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that's the very beginning of putting our old self to death. We rise up out of the waters of baptism to walk in a newness of life where we live for the Lord and we die for the Lord. As we live for the Lord, as we grow in our spiritual maturity, we're also called to look out for the younger, spiritually weaker team members. Look at Romans 15, 1 through 3. It says this. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself. But that is, it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, on every team, there are those who sometimes carry the team for a moment or for a season. The same is true for God's team. Those who are able to spiritually mentor, to carry, to disciple others, they need to. Not just elders and staff and deacons and trustees. Christians, you have that job on God's team. That if you are able to carry and disciple others for the greater good of the team. Something else we need to consider is that that being on this team requires a change in our values and our sense of individualism changes. See, in our world, we live in this world that says individuality is what we need. That's not what God's word says. Sometimes it means loving our enemies and not just our friends and neighbors. Look at what Matthew chapter 5 verses 43 through 48 says. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? See, it's easy to love people that love us back. It's hard to love your enemy. It's hard to reach out to somebody that you know has a different opinion about you or about what you believe or or where you are in life. It's hard to love that person. But if you greet only your brothers, 
What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, in order to reach that, we need team. We need each other. We need accountability. Because where I'm weak, you're strong. And where you're weak, I'm strong. And together, we make a team together. We are a force to be reckoned with for the kingdom. At the heart of these verses, it means being ready to do something that may be unpleasant, that may be inconvenient for the, so, that, so that we can benefit the team that we're a part of. There's no team I know of that demands more of surrender of self, as far as individuals go, than God's team. You see, being a converted child of God, being a follower of Jesus, it's not the easiest team to be on. You can quit most other teams. You've paid an entry fee of some sort or the season ends or you graduate from the program, but we must never leave God's team because Jesus Christ paid that fee for us. It was costly for him. And there is no church season. Some people think there is. They think it's Easter and Christmas. I think that's church season, but there's no church season. God's team is the only team I know of that you don't get to graduate out of. You don't get to retire from it. You may retire from your job, but we never retire from kingdom work. If you're breathing, you're a kingdom worker. You have the ability to change somebody's life for Jesus Christ because you're on God's team. And if you're wondering how to do that, come see me. I'll help you. But we have to realize the need for well-trained personnel in any organization, any team. Look at the Army, the Navy, the Air Force. Look at these college teams. Look at the professional teams. People have to give up their own personal comforts and even sometimes safety for the sake of the team. Anybody that tries to shirk their duty or, you know, does something incompetent poses a danger to the rest of the team. Some sports, there's travel groups, there's clubs, there's organizations. There's, there's things that happen. All these things are examples from our everyday lives that require us to exhibit patience, restraint, a willingness to learn and follow the rules of the team. But too often, we... We step back at the very cords that make our involvement in God's team possible. Sometimes it's a lack of understanding. Not understanding, it's, it's, we, 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 we won't give up our bad habits for the good things that Christ has called us to. Maybe someone has instilled the wrong ideas into us about what God's team is all about. Have you met those people? When they go, you say you go to church and they go, oh, You're one of those people. Someone has instilled wrong ideas in them about what God's team is. And now it's on us to to redirect those thoughts, to share with those people. We need to do that. The only way we can do that is with support and respect of one another. You see, true success comes to the people who are willing to sacrifice their own personal wants for the sake of God's team. We have the freedom to make choices, good or bad. And once we're clearly able to see the value of good choices, we need to embrace them fully. And when we realize that as individuals, we're wrong in our attitudes and our interactions with others. When we put self first, that's what we come out of. See, we we need to make changes so that we can open the door to a world of opportunity, to a world of friendship, to a world of service, of intentionality that's given freely and gladly. That's the kind of doors we need to open up here. That, that's, those are the keys to a happy, contented life on God's team. It doesn't mean being on God's team is always going to be easy. 
but there's going to be contentment. There are a lot of scripture that talk about God's way. And it's, it's not a way that's designed by men. That's the thing we have to understand. Too many churches are, are coming around and they're, they're doing these things and we think, wow, that's so great. But they'd be designed by men, those decisions, those things. God makes the rules. God calls the infractions. He coaches the team. He helps the players work on their problems. I want to share with you for some, from some of the New Testament some references about this. I want to talk about Apollos. Some of you may not know who Apollos is, but in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 18, there's this guy named Apollos. And he went around telling people the way of the Lord. We're going to look at Acts 18, 24, and 26. Listen to this. I love this guy because he knew one thing, and then he went out with that one thing. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Keep that in mind. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now you're probably thinking, why are you bringing that up? I'm bringing that up because of this. Here's a team model that we need to follow. Here's this guy. He knows he, he's eloquent. All right? He's a learned man. And he knows about John's bapt- or Jesus' baptism with John. And he takes what he knows and he's, he's going into the synagogue and he's telling other Jews, hey, you need to know what I know. You need to know Jesus. You need to get on God's team. That's what he's saying. And then here's this team model. Priscilla and Aquila step up. They're on God's team. And they're, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that God's team comes first. And here's what they do. They take him aside. And they talk to him. They don't stand up in the synagogue and go, hey, 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 new guy. You missed three points. I'm going to straighten you out. They let him, because what he was saying wasn't wrong. He just wasn't all the way there. So they let him do it. And then they take him aside and they talk with him. And, and they say, they, they don't try to make him look bad. They explain the way of God to him more completely. And then they're like, now go on with your bad self. On three, ready, break. And they, they send him back out. And then they wind him up. They give him the information he needs. And they go, all right, now go. There's other scriptures that describe the rules that God expects us to play by. God wants his followers, that's us, to learn to care for one another, to work together as a team. Paul wrote that we ought to consider one another to stir others up to do good works. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Hold on, go back to that verse real quick. The problem is a lot of times in churches, not this church, but in churches, we don't necessarily stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We stimulate one another to frustration we stimulate one another to gossip. We stimulate one another to things that are less than average. I bring it up because if we don't ever talk about it, we get to that place where we think, well, that'll never happen to us. If it won't, it wouldn't be in the rule book. It wouldn't be in God's playbook if it hadn't happened somewhere. There's a danger here. We need to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not frustration. The next verse says this. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. We need to come together to encourage one another as we worship. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
Not only that, but we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Matthew 5.43 says that. It's known by people who observe and study human behavior that we need to respect, honor, and love ourselves before we can give or expect to get respect, honor, and love from someone else. That's a, 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 a psychologist study. All right? And the key is to do this as you love yourself, not less, not more. God knows the value of this piece of knowledge that we need to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. It's why he gave us his only begotten son before we even repented, before we even asked for his help. God starts us off at the beginning of our spiritual lives by giving us self-respect, by giving us love and allowing us to honor ourselves. That's the first thing we get. I think it's amazing. It's not because we've done anything to deserve it, but it's God lifting us up out of the pit into which we've fallen into, and he wants all of us to be starters on his team. You see, when God forgives our sins, they don't exist anymore as far as he is concerned. We need to forgive ourselves. That's part of loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of us don't love ourselves because we don't forgive ourselves for the things that we've done. If you've asked God forgiveness, if you've repented, he has forgiven you as if they don't exist any longer. And we need to forgive ourselves. We need to have faith in the blood of Jesus so that we can know that, the God, that God has accepted us on his team because of Jesus' sacrifice. And when we play by God's rules, when we play on God's team, we're able to resist sin and we're able to resist the author of it. We're going to close out with Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us, um, <clears throat> let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, for who the joy, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Not only are we to help each other resist sin and help each other to resist Satan, but we need to allow God to be our coach and to correct our errors. See, one of the things we don't necessarily like about coaches is, is the discipline part. You mess up at football, take a lap. You got to work that out of your system. Hebrews 12, 9 and 10 says, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. Not only are we to help each other resist sin and Satan, but on God's team, we need to allow God to be our coach. My pack is getting really hot. Yeah, and so I'm going to turn it. I don't know what it is, but my leg's burning. So I don't know if it's the fake hip or what. But Sorry. Yeah, we're getting it now. Uh, <laughs> um, so we need to allow God to be our coach we need to, and to correct our errors. We need to look carefully at ourselves to see if we have in any way fallen short. Hebrews 12, 14 through 15 says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble 
and by it many may be defiled. You see, doing this and more, we grow in grace and knowledge on God's team. And it's a recipe for success in being on God's team. Knowing the rules, playing within them, listening to the advice of our coach, reading the book, and being concerned about the whole team, not just ourselves. God wants every person to be saved. First Timothy 4, uh, 2, 4-6 says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to be on his team. Paul explains how we are to carefully follow the rules God has given through his ministry, our manner of life, our purpose for life, our faith in him, our perseverance. They're all part of the process. God, through his word, is grooming his team, that's us, to be the star team for all eternity. The keys are right here in your hand. Take them. It's time to get off the bench. It's time to get into the game. It's time to choose to play on God's team and to live for him. So as we come to our response time this morning, think about your position on God's team. Think about what you've been doing on God's team. And think about what position you should be playing on God's team. We don't need anyone sitting the bench. We need everyone starting on God's team. If you're not sure what your place on God's team is, or if you have questions about God's playbook, the Bible, the elders are here this morning. They'd love to talk with you about that, to pray with you. Maybe your first step toward choosing to be on God's team is to submit to him in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The baptistry is ready. Or if you have questions about that and you need to talk more about what that looks like in your life, here's your chance to respond to God's word. Whatever your response is this morning, will you stand with us and sing our response song and respond to God's word accordingly? It's been great to be here with you all this morning to worship with you, to talk about being on God's team. But now it's time for us to go to win and commit to grow. As you go to do that, I have a little treat for you. We're doing our first ever pop-up fellowship tailgate party. Woo! You're like, I didn't bring anything. It's okay. Out in the foyer, we have popcorn for you because you can't have a tailgate party without popcorn. We've got some drinks. Take a minute. Have some popcorn. Fellowship with each other. Make some lunch plans with another family. If you already have lunch plans, take a minute. Have some popcorn. Fellowship with everybody. And invite someone to be a part of your lunch plans. It's okay. It's, it's team. It's what we do. Will you sing this last song with us?